Welcome to the Uprising Reviewcast. Each week, we sit down to take a deeper dive into our student ministry and talk about what you may have missed. If you have topics that you would like us to talk about or would like to be on the podcast, hit us up at UprisingSMC on Instagram or email us at UprisingReviewcast at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Yes, and now Sean has joined us. Are, are we going to just yes, post yeah. this this week? We're just okay. going to post it. We- Actually... Yeah, we're just gonna do that. So, welcome to the Uprising Review Cast. Welcome to um, this this special edition of the episodes where we ask Sean questions, Q and A's on stuff. Um, so, we have a bunch of different things um, that we had asked before last week. Some some things I remember, some things I don't, and I need to actually pull up because I do not have that pulled up. Well, he's getting that pulled yeah. up, Sean and uh, Carson. You- <laughs> brain fart today sorry um you guys were outside in the cold we um, were for this nativity oh yeah that was a it was a drive-by nativity with a train we were Um, wise men we were both of us were wise men we had a couple hundred kids on our little train uh (laughs) driving on by us waving at us who who was driving that train because i drove by and i saw that train he had excitement whip around he had a lot of energy he was a brave brave man braving that cold for about two hours straight pointed at the street lamp above us saying that's the star it it was did uh did you feel wise by the end of the night standing out there in the cold you know i don't know (laughs) if feeling like a wise man i felt like a wise guy i could say that (laughs) oh why i oughta so he slapped her. But yes, I remember you emailed it to me. Yes, all the questions. Mm. Yeah, just to catch everybody up. So last week, our, our uh, podcast, we were answering some questions you guys submitted either at Switch in the morning or um, Uprising in uh, the evening. So all questions you guys submitted online or on note cards or just whatever. And um we're just going to answer the um, ones we weren't able to get to last week. And I'll just remind you guys that um, there's a couple questions that we don't answer, not because we're scared of them or we don't want to answer them, but because we can just tell by reading them that they're over something uh, super controversial or super personal. And that's just not something we want to tackle in a podcast format. We want to tackle those on like a one-on-one basis or like a small group basis. So if you have a question and it wasn't answered last week and it's not answered today, uh, I would just encourage you to ask your small group leader or find me or Virgo or Spencer on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening. Um, and just ask us there because we would love to talk to you about it. We just may not want to talk about it on a podcast. The other thing I would say is that, you know, you might see us disagree on a couple questions with the answers, uh, especially today, because we're going to get into more, um, I don't know, stuff that Christians usually disagree on. Um, and that's totally okay, right? Um, the one thing that needs to unite us all is a belief in Jesus and that, that he died and that he rose again and that because of that, we're, we're saved. And uh, beyond that, there's a lot of stuff that Christians can disagree on and we can still all be friends and get along and worship in the same place. Sure. Um so I'll start out with some of the ones that aren't as complicated. They're just kind of fun. And some of them are more opinion than, yes, there's a right answer. Um, this first question I love this is about John the Baptist. Because um, when, when you'd spoken on this questions, uh, we talked about baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist. And this question is, were the crickets that John ate alive? Yeah, so John the Baptist ate crickets. We're not told if he was eating live ones or not. 
uh, I have to believe they were dead and roasted probably because that's actually a pretty common way to eat a cricket. Uh, believe it or not, fried crickets are catching on all across the world. That's By, by the time that uh, our students have kids, I think crickets will actually be something that Americans are eating. When I was in I Thailand, uh, the street market, there was a straight up just one, like a bunch of the vendors, but we bought like they give you like a little plastic cup filled with these like they deep fry them. Oh yeah, and then they like they like toss them with like sugar and stuff. Yeah, and it's like eating like protein popcorn, um, and it it's not gross or for you. now we'll say it is gross later on when you have to get a toothpick and you crick, you pick like a cricket leg out from between your teeth that's gross um but i just thought it was fun um um the, well i uh, what's the name um has a question yes oh yeah why did jesus curse the fig tree oh this is a great question now i saw that question i actually got excited because i remember being young i think i was a junior in high school maybe i was a sophomore and my youth pastor did like a question answer kind of thing we all wrote them down on note cards and i gave it to him and that's that's one of the places i got the idea for this from but i asked him that exact question why did jesus curse the fig tree and he never answered that question in any of the conversations or talks he did and so i was like why did he do it so i actually spent a lot of time looking into it and thinking about it and what this is i don't remember the specific chapter but there's a specific chapter where jesus is walking along uh this is closer towards the end of his ministry than in the beginning and he comes to a tree and the tree uh, it, it, it's a fig tree. It's supposed to bear figs or it's fruit and it's out of season, meaning, uh, um, the fig tree, like it's all, it's all leaves, it's all leaves. Yeah. It doesn't have figs. And Jesus goes up to the tree. He notices there's no fruit on it and he curses the tree because there's no fruit on it. And you read the story and you're like, Jesus, why are you cursing a fig tree that because it doesn't have fruit when it's not supposed to have fruit. And then. A little while later, Jesus comes back and the disciples are like, Jesus, why did you curse the fig tree? And he explains that it's this metaphor for how people, when people's lives um, don't produce fruit, uh, that, that that is going to result in them kind of living a cursed lifestyle. Not just because God's going to curse them, but because like living the way that God doesn't call them to is going to destroy their lives. Um, and so it's kind of that, that both and thing. Um, and so what's the reason why Jesus cursed the fig tree? And the answer is for a sermon illustration. Which it actually speaks value into us because it's like God thinks you are so valuable that to get the truth to you, God would curse a tree. I like that. As, at and least the, that question has been finally answered. I, I, well, the best I can. You might find someone smarter than me who can give you a better <laughs> answer, but that's what I got. Well, and and better is not always best. That's true. And also, uh, that just shows you the the amount of details that are in this, like in the Bible and in the stories, that even something as small as the fig tree. It's the little things. Well, yeah, it's like this just the details. It's like little Easter eggs and why it means so Bible much. Little Easter eggs. Right? Can you find maybe five? We could, maybe we could start doing, maybe do a series on Easter eggs in the Bible. I do like a good fig newton. I'll say that. I have not eaten one in a very long time, so I can't tell you if I enjoyed it or not. I think I was okay with it. Um, I think I was okay. So I, I could go on a tangent about figs because they're gross how they get formed. Like a bug has to die and dissolve. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Now I will never now eat another fig newton. Fig. It's a wasp. Hey, they take a wasp out to turn into delicious fruit. Um, Something so, good in front of them. Um, so I'm going I'm to move over here to some of these faith questions. Um, so last week we did talk about how, how steps you can take to build a stronger connection with God. Um, this week we're going to talk about a few of these others. So 
we have a question. It says, do you believe in the perseverance of saints and can you lose your salvation? That's a great question. That's kind of the million dollar question. A question that wasn't on here that we were kind of expecting to hear was why are there so many different denominations or like versions of Christians? Yes. And that's one of the questions that divides us. So one of the things I guess we'll say is that I would assume amongst this table, there are different views on that question. And I would assume amongst uh, the people listening to this, there are different views on this question. And that's okay. Very smart people can all look at the Bible and what it says on this topic and come to different conclusions. And that's okay. So what does perseverance of the saints means? Well, that means can someone who believes in Jesus uh, lose their salvation? Can such a thing happen that they are no longer saved by grace or they are no longer uh, saved and going to heaven or wh- wh- whatever way you want to say it? Yeah. Now, yeah, and that, that, that's pretty typically the way it might be phrased. Um, the answer I have, um, I was raised in a church that believed you could never lose your salvation once you were saved. That's the church I was raised in. Um, and so I, I believed that all growing up. And then I had a professor in college who didn't believe that and kind of pushed back on that a little bit. He was a Christian, but he believed that you could. And so I was forced to not just accept what did I believe growing up, but like w- w- what did I think? And so I started like reading the Bible through the lens of trying to answer this question. And um, uh, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I genuinely wanted to believe that once you were saved, you were always saved. And that was what it was because that's what I grew up with. And so that's what I wanted to believe. And I started reading the book of Hebrews. And by the time I hit chapter <laughs> seven, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get it there anymore. I couldn't get there anymore. And so I arrived at a place where what I genuinely and strongly believe is that you will never accidentally lose your faith. You can never sin enough. You can never do anything wrong enough. You can never hurt God's heart enough. It's a you, conscious decision. You must purposefully, knowingly, and consciously decide, I don't want to go to heaven anymore. Like that has to be the intention of your heart, knowing what you're saying. Like you have to be purposefully turning. And the reason I think that is because I think you have to purposefully choose to come to Jesus. I think that's free will. And so I don't see why once you become a Christian, God would take your ability to choose away and say you now cannot choose to do differently. Now, again, I would assume at this table there are different opinions on that, and I would love to hear other people's perspectives. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm going to say that if we're approaching it just from the idea of like forgiveness of sin and being mm-hmm. accepted by, by God, that um, Paul obviously gives us this idea of like how far our sin is taken from us when we seek that forgiveness. Um, the other thing that Paul also tells us is they had to work out his salvation daily. And for a lot of people that means different things. Um, when, when I read that, I, I see that that means every day you need to ponder on what it means to have received forgiveness from God. Um, and that it doesn't need to be something that, you, you take that one time on, maybe you're at summer camp and you're like, all right, accepted Christ, good to go. Going to get back to living my life the same way I always have now. Um, but the idea is that every day you want to be created into a new creation. Like you want to wake up with that in mind and, and seek him out and know what it means, like what your salvation actually means for you. Um, because there's a lot of like focus, obviously, in the church on like we want people to get saved so they can go to heaven, so they can spend eternity with Jesus, and we do. But we also want you to start that eternity with Jesus here on this earth, and that like if you're not intentionally seeking Him out, um, it's weird to say the to phrase that in the way of like lose your salvation, um, 
but I, I think at the same time, like I'm in an age group where people, the phrase is deconstructing your faith that people are like, who grew up in the church are like now not in the church. And not only that, they're trying to remove those blocks that they built their life on to build their life back the way they want it to be. And the idea of like doing that and then getting to heaven, Jesus being like, Oh yeah, I remember you. We hung out in high school. Like that's seems odd to me. Um, so I, I do think that for each individual, you you have to learn what your salvation means. Um, and this is a question for me that I still wrestle with. And I think there's, there's some biblical standing for both, which is like what you'll find a lot. There's a lot of biblical standing for free will. There's a lot of biblical stance for predestination. And that we talk about that in our group an awful lot. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the mysteries of Christ is when you jump into these questions is the only way to help find peace in it is to dive deeper in. Um, so if you're the person out there who asks this question, my encouragement would be that you, you seek it out, um, that you open the Bible that you recommended reading through Hebrews. Hebrews is a tough book. Um, so maybe don't read alone. Like ask one of us to read it through it with you. We'd be glad to. And I'll just add to that. Um, Spencer just mentioned two big words. I'll unpack them real quick. Free will and predestination. If you haven't heard those words before, it's it's one of the big debates in Christian history. That debate's been going on for 2,000 years, as long as the church has existed. Yep. And it's been, does God choose to save us, or are we choosing to be saved by God? Or is the answer some version of both, right? And so it's that's kind of the central issue, right? Does God order the universe so it all happens according to his plan and exactly the way he wants it to unfold? Or do we get to like decide to do things ourselves and God somehow uses that to still accomplish the things that he wants to do? Now that sounds very complicated. It's very heady. It's very academic frequently. And so frequently that debate doesn't really have much to do with our day-to-day living. But we've still been debating it as churches for 2000 years. And again, that's one of the big questions that divides churches from denomination to denomination to denomination. Well, cause oh. the way my head is always assigned it is like free will and love go hand in hand because I've always been like taught. And I feel like a lot of us have that love isn't something that they can like in any degree be like forced. Like part of like what gives our relationship with God so much value is that it's like, we decided to take it like we wanted to take that thing that exists and we wanted to make it a part of our lives. Yeah. And a good illustration I've heard is like, if you're on the predestination side, you view the world as like a painting and God is this master painter and you're one of the colors that he paints with and the painting when he's done, cause he's a master, it's going to be gorgeous and beautiful and you get to be a part of it. And that's amazing. And when it's done, it's going to be the most, pr- the most beautiful masterpiece you've ever seen. And so we can be thankful. We get to be a part of it, but we're a color he's painting with, right? He gets to choose how the brush moves and strokes and all that stuff. Then if you're on the free will side, it's more like God's giving you the keys to the car and it's like where you want to drive it. And you genuinely have the ability to crash it. You genuinely have the ability to get to your destination, but God's a little more hands off. And that's scary for a lot of people. And a lot of people like the predestination mindset. So it's like, no, God's very hands on. And when I get in trouble, God has a plan and a purpose for that trouble. And on the free will mindset, it's like, well, maybe it just happened. Maybe God doesn't have a plan and a purpose for the specific moment that happened in my life. Well, and I right? think you heard like the way my group talked about it and like the, the mindset of like, we still get to decide all of our actions, but because God is omnipotent, he knows everything before it happens. So it's not like he picked our actions before us, but he knows mm-hmm. what we're going to do. Yeah. And so there, there are all sides to that debate. It's very deep. Yeah. yeah um, so 
Virgo, do you have something you wanted to add? To that? I'm sorry. Yes. Um, that that whole topic has totally was is the center of a bunch of my like my friends group getting to a lot of 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 very deep arguments because we're all from different denominations we're all from different kind of uh, we're all from different faiths so there's a lot of us that are um, calvinists there's a lot of us who are free will uh, people and that's our circle of friends would like i i think we've every time we've gotten to that conversation like we always left with the feelings hurt and so we just kind of decided we're just not going to talk about it anymore and then um just like uh with with uh, the whole salvation thing i do believe that you cannot lose your salvation uh, but then again i have more of what i called like a harsher view of it of like maybe you're just never saved to begin with and that's I've why i've heard that a lot and so it's it's one of those things where it just makes you think i th- it's I, th- I believe that it's a lot harder than what um than what a lot of people make it out to be um, you have to put in work for like you have to actually do a lot for that salvation. You can't just it's one of those things. It's uh, it's hard for me to explain. It's it's so easy for me to think about and to, for me to put in my to put it in my thoughts. Uh, but it's 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 work. It's work. It's not. There's it, a lot of um, it's a lot of 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 just time giving up for it. There's a lot of things you have to sacrifice for it in in order for their salvation in order to be saved and. It's like any important relationship. It's yeah. not something you can like pick up, set on a shelf, and then leave it there for a little bit. It's yeah. like it takes constant care and maintaining. That's uh, I, agree. I agree. Yeah, a pastor friend of mine who um, embraces that perspective. Uh, he said it this way: He said, "A faith that saves you changes you." Yes. And so, if it hasn't changed you, maybe it hasn't saved you. And if the only thing you're changing is constantly repenting over the same sins over and over again, it's very, um, it's very telling. Uh, but and yes. Yeah, and um, what I would add to this whole conversation is both those questions that we kind of tackled into there, they they can be very scary questions. They can be very concerning questions because they have to do with our salvation, which is a deeply personal thing. And so if any of our answers scare you or intimidate you or anything like that, we're answering them in a very heady way because we're not personally engaging with someone who's struggling with them. All four of us would tackle it a little differently if we had someone who was in front of us going through an issue with it. So I would just say if that's you, if what we're talking about scares you a little bit, with those things talk to somebody talk to one of us we would love to kind of unpack it a little more with your situation um and if it honestly if it scares you a little bit you can come back to this topic in 10 years like it's fine i could interject with like a short thing um just because i know we cover this in our small group a little bit if anyone is like if anyone feels uncomfortable they don't know the answers to these questions ask someone like you're not expected to know everything about this because none of us do like just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean you're any less of a Christian. Well, and I would even tell you on a theology question to ask me now and then ask me again in five years um, and see how my my mind and my understanding has changed, too. Because that's always, like, like I think we get, like, doctrine and that gets, like, set in stone and theology develops as we grow and learn to know Jesus more. And there's some tenets of theology that are just like, yep, that's good. Yeah, I'm going to put this as a foundation. And then there's others where you're like, man, I'm going to have to wrestle with this the rest of my life. Um, so that's a great question. If you're asking that, um, jump into your Bible. Like, yes. have conversations. So If um, there's nothing else on that, I have another question ready. Yeah. Yep. What is heaven like? Ooh, that's a great question. So the Bible doesn't tell us a lot about heaven, believe it or not. Um, 
what we do know is that um, it's God's throne room. That's what it's described. If you've ever read in the Bible where the Bible says, um, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You hear heavens plural. The reason it's given as plural is because the um, the Jewish people um, of the Old Testament, they kind of separated their vocabulary into using the word heaven for three different things. Uh, only one of which means what we use when we think of heaven. They had the sky, uh, what we think of as the blue sky, right? Earth's atmosphere. And then they had the second one, which was like outer space or for them, the uh, night sky. And that was outside of that. And then like the third level beyond that, if you will, is um, what we think of as heaven. When we think of like the spiritual place, God's throne room. And so you ever see the phrase heavens in the Bible, that's what it means. They're talking about plural, so two or more of those. If And there's even one passage in the New Testament where someone specifically says the third heaven. And that doesn't mean there are three heavens in our sense. That just means that like God's throne room, right? Heaven. And so we know that that's the place where God dwells. Um, we know that based on one thing Solomon says in the Old Testament, he says even heaven is not enough to contain the glory of God. Um, and so God goes beyond even that. Um, but it's it's considered like uh, his home to a degree. It's a place where when you go there, you're close with him. You're kind of in communion and you're in union with him. We don't know if it's somewhat physical. We know it's a spiritual place. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know if we'll really be able to look at things while we're there. It gets described in the Bible with some kind of imagery, right? There's like a sea of glass gets described at one part. Does that mean there's yeah. literal glass there? No. What it looks like. It's just, it's just yeah. the best way he could Street describe it. Streets of gold, actually, that part gets yeah. used in Revelation, which yeah. is actually describing like the new city God's going to make yeah. at like the end of the world and all that kind of yeah, stuff, right? It's, it's less about heaven anyway. But a scary section of the Bible. I know, a scary section of the Bible, absolutely. Um, so the real honest answer is that we don't have a lot of information mm, yeah, about yeah, heaven. Yeah. But the true answer is that like as far as physical description, we don't have a lot of answer. Because it's not really a physical place. Yeah. What we do know is that it's a place where you're going to be in sort of communion and union with God. Like, I want you to imagine that moment when your favorite worship song is playing. Yeah. You're surrounded by your friends at summer camp. And you're kind of having like that spiritual high. Like that highlight moment. And you're just kind of like, I wish I could be in this moment forever. I That's kind that of like what, a, like a God pill you could take. Just yeah. Like to keep that, to keep that, <laughs> yeah, like that feeling spiritual high. Yeah. And if you've ever had that moment, I imagine that's what heaven's like. It's like that all the time. I know. Um, uh, it was described to me before by a friend of mine or I wouldn't say friend is it's loosely, that word loosely, but it's a, a guy from a band that, um, I really admire. And, and this, this, he described it one time. He asked us randomly what, what we think heaven would be like. And people gave like your, you know, your, your answers of like, um, um, you know, you could be asking questions and you could be walking around hanging out with your family members. And then he shook, he actually like shook me. He just shook me right up when he literally was like, what if I tell you that heaven, you're going to spend all of eternity on your face, worshiping God and you're going to enjoy it and love it. And, and then you feel like eternity is not long enough. Like what, what if that's what heaven is? And I always thought about that. You know what? Like that's. And so in my head, I felt like that would, that's what heaven would be like. It's just you slain, just, just like, just on your face, like worshiping God because the presence is too much and you just don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know. Like it just, it feels like uh, that's what I always felt like, but that's something I never really like dwelled on too much because like great, if it is great, if it's not like, I'm 
you know, heaven. You know, I've always wrestled with the like concept of if you experience anything long enough, the things before that become harder to remember. And I've never done enough research on like how memory will work whenever we go to heaven. So like, I feel like after a certain point, a lot of the stuff we experience here or even like immediately would just become very fuzzy and then just kind of disappear. Like, are we, are we going to like, would there be no strangers in heaven or you just be like kind of no people? Like just everybody, you just be surrounded by people that you've always kind of greet every human like an old friend. You be around your community that you like. It's just, it's just, it's a lot of questions that. Yeah, Paul yeah. says to live as Christ, to die is gain, and that that's kind of the verse I always go back to about heaven. Yeah, is like, um, life is good. Life is really good. Yeah, live as long as you can because life is worth living, and you have purpose, you have plan, and it's gonna, it's gonna make a difference. What you do can make a difference, but yes. when you do pass on. Like it's, it's going to a place that's going to be better. That's awesome. Um, so I think we, what, what, where are we at time wise? We have time for one more. No, we got time for uh, a few more. For okay. Sure. So, um, this is also, so some of these questions are, are difficult for sure. And definitely some of them will definitely bring opinion in. Um, and I like to say it just because, there's there's things that we have structure we have scripture to stand on and there's other things where it's like well we're gonna talk about this topic um so this person asked where do people come from Hmm. um and i'd also just to piggyback on that just because i feel like these are going to be similarly similarly i can say words related question um it's about like dinosaurs and other things that we kind of like know exist in our world or have existed in our world. Um, and the idea of like, were dinosaurs real? Um, they had feathers. So, um, I, but if you want to lead off on the people end of that and then we can maybe move back to like dinosaurs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I, I'm a little worried that, that whoever asked, uh, where do people come from? wanted to uh, make the joke about uh, uh where do babies come from it's not me I swear. which we're not I gonna I said I'd do it yeah we're, we're not gonna answer the question that question on the podcast today but uh if you're asking in general like where do people come from right if you're asking like the origins question like when the bible says in genesis that god made them men and women and everything does that mean god evolved us or does that mean god made us out of just nothing does that mean god did rearrange the molecules of like dirt like what does that mean how did god do the making of us right Uh, if that's what you're asking that's like a legit question we we can we can jump into here so um the the first thing i want to say is it really doesn't matter like the bible doesn't give you specifics on that question because god didn't think it mattered now that doesn't mean we're not interested that doesn't mean we can't talk about it that doesn't mean we don't care about it but it means in an ultimate sense of like will it change your life or not is it worth the church dividing over or not is it worth two people having a fight and losing a friendship over or not it's not worth it so whatever uh, i mean i'll be honest on this particular question because the bible doesn't strictly speaking specifically talk about it whatever you need to do to get along with the people around you i say just go for it but i will i will also give you my opinion because the question was asked and that's all this is my opinion again the bible doesn't specifically mention dinosaurs the bible doesn't specifically mention the method by which god made us so this is my opinion not the bible's opinion not my opinion as a pastor this is just sean's opinion so 
Uh, I believe that God did make us out of nothing in the sense that we, he did not evolve us from a monkey and a monkey evolved from whatever. I believe that God just made us. Now that typically ties into the question of like, how long has the universe been around? Like did God make dinosaurs and then a thousand years later make this and then 300 billion years later make this? Like that ties into that. Now I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a scientist in many sense of the imagination. I don't care to know. Um, when it comes to dinosaurs, I've heard the theory that they never really existed and God just started the world off with bones in the ground sort of to uh, test people's faith and whether they'd really believe him. Uh, I don't believe that theory. Um, I believe that they were real creatures who really did walk the earth. I don't think we've got a really good handle on what they were or what they were like. Uh, I like to give the example, the people that, you know, if you Googled a picture of um, a chicken skeleton, you probably would not think it was as fat a creature as it is. You just wouldn't, right? And so do we really know what a dinosaur looked like? Not really. We only have the bones. I also like to give this example. Um, imagine you're walking along in the forest out in the woods and you come across a spoon on the ground. How many reasons could you think of for how that spoon got there, all of which are very plausible? You could probably come up with at least a thousand before you stopped, right? Like there are a lot of reasons why. So there are some things that are more likely, some things that are less likely. But what I would say is this, if you're ever in a science class and someone asks you some kind of question or there's some kind of sciencey fact about the origins of humans in the world, it's not worth losing your faith over. It's really not. Um, because there are yeah. so many things that could possibly be there that could be true or could not be true. Yeah, so this question plays into the the what I'll say is an old favorite of theological arguments is Christianity versus science, which is not how things work. Science, if anything, um, actually helps support belief in God. Um, it, it's rare to find scientific things that point away from him. Um but what I'll say, just because you you started off with this really doesn't matter, um, and that, like, there's generally two schools of thought, right? There's, there's, it's a young earth, and it's exactly as the Bible says, like, word for word, literal. And then there's also the, the other side of that, which is, no, our planet is millions and millions of years old. Um, and what I'll tell you is that I, I had a mentor once say, he said, your faith isn't that you picked one and that that's what you believe. Your faith is that you're comfortable no with the mystery and knowing that God could do it either way if he wanted to. Um, now what I will say is it, it's definitely not worth the argument with someone. Um, because while your evidence for maybe defending a young earth can be very it can be a shallower amount. Um, there's not a ton of evidence to help support that all the time. There's a lot of evidence for it to be an older planet. Um, does not change in my mind with the most important part when you talk about where did man come from, what about dinosaurs, this sort of thing, is that we were creating God's image, that that's the most important aspect of the creation story, not the order that things were done or whether each day relates to millions of years or anything like that. The most important part is that God, when he created man set us apart from the rest of creation and said, this is very good that what I've done here is like, 
better than all of this and this is in my image and that I'm going to send my son to die for you when you guys screw up and that like I I think this has been a long discussion like this has been an argument for when I was a teenager and before that when your parents were teenagers like this is not a new um, argument or wrestle thing to wrestle with but I think the new thing is that people are starting to more comes to terms with I don't have to argue about this so yeah, and if I could, I'll just give you guys a couple of um, options, right? So I've I've studied this topic, heard a variety of views, and so in my mind, there, there's um, several conclusions people have come to. And like both me and Spencer have been saying, it's not worth losing your faith over. So I'll be honest, pick your favorite. Uh, one is the literal young earth perspective. That's what it's called, the young earth perspective. And that means when the Bible says the world was created in seven days, it was created in seven days. When it says God made man out of the dirt, God made God took some dirt, made man out of it. He made Eve out of a rib of from Adam. Everything happened exactly the way you were. you would read it if you took it all exactly literally. That people have done the chronology on that, calculating, you know, this person gave birth to this person in this year. If you took every number exactly literally, the earth is somewhere between 7,000 and 10,000 years old. That's young earth perspective. That's what that's called. That's one theory. Uh, the second theory is what's called old earth uh, perspective. Uh, that's the perspective that when the Bible talks about days, it's um, talking about like the day of the dinosaurs or the day of David, king of Israel. It's not talking about a literal 24-hour day. It's talking about a long day. So you could have thousands, millions of years in between each of the seven days of creation. Yes. Um, but God still made everything sort of out of nothing. Then you've got the next level, which is called theistic evolution. Theistic means like with God. This I so, Yep. And so that's the idea that God used evolution to evolve one animal to another animal to another animal over millions and millions of years. Uh, and eventually he gets to the point where he evolves man. And then when he gets to man, he does something special, which is he adds a soul. He adds the image of God into them. That's not a part that evolved. God added that in. That's theistic evolution. There's a fourth option. This is an option that it's more recent, um, but it's come up around. And this is, um, I'm going to call it the mytho-history explanation. And this is the idea that when you read the first 11 chapters of Genesis, not 12 on, but when you read the first 11, it belongs to a specific genre of literature. If you've taken English class, you'll know that word. Uh, and a uh, uh, genre of literature that's not meant to communicate history. It's meant like when you read the legends of Hercules. It, for the people who read it, those were important stories. These were stories that mattered, but they were myths. They weren't intended to communicate literal fact, but there's a lot of literal facts in them. There's a lot of places that are accurate, a lot of names that are accurate. A lot of people think Hercules was real. A lot of people think the city of Troy was real, and there really was a war there. Does that mean the gods, the Greek gods, rolled around in chariots firing arrows in that battle? No, it's a myth. Uh, but there's That's some history like there. That's one of those more dangerous ones. Yeah, it's very dangerous because there's no uh, anybody could decide what parts are myth and what parts are genuine history. But this is a popular one today. Um, and so that's another one to be aware of. And there's reasons for it and reasons against it for all four of those. And so I'll be honest, pick your favorite. Um, I think we, like, I think uh, Carson has one. Carson. Yeah, Carson? yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so We're good. What happened to Jews that died? That's a great question. Before, before, before Jesus. Before yes. Jesus. Yes. yes. Yeah. Sorry, I should have specified. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll even broaden that, that question out. What happened to anybody? 
before the death of Jesus, right? That's a question I'm going to be honest. Like, a lot of these I've had, like, a bit of a chosen answer for. Mm -hmm. This one I do not have, like, an internal answer for. So I'm, like, very interested. It's a great question. Um, I think when we read Hebrews 11, it actually informs a lot of this. Because what that passage does, if you've never read it, is it goes back through kind of most, if not all, of the big names in the Old Testament. So David, Moses, um, even just some of the smaller characters from Judges like Barak and other people. And it talks about how these people did what they did because they had faith in God. And the whole book of Hebrews really is about how faith in God is what saves you. Now, they didn't have faith in Jesus because Jesus wasn't alive yet. Jesus wasn't around. Jesus hadn't been born yet. So who did they have faith in? And the answer that they give you is that they really genuinely had faith that something was coming. They looked at the world around them. They realized it was messed up and they knew who God was. They looked at the prophets who had made promises about what God was going to do. And they said, I believe that God is going to do something. In fact, um, in the book of Job, which some scholars believe was actually the first book of the Bible ever written. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I've heard that. Um, Job, he's doing this long conversation. It's a very boring book. Most people have read, or a lot of people who know the Bible well have read the first two chapters and the last two chapters. But Job is a very long book, and they have no idea what comes in the middle. But one section in the middle, it talks about how Job stops, and he says, the reason I am forgiven, the reason I am clean and I stand blameless is because I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, does Job know who that Redeemer is? He has no idea. Does Job know the name Jesus? He has no idea. But he sees the law that God has written. He knows from God that at some point there's going to be a Redeemer. And that person, because of that Redeemer, he can stand blameless. And that's what we see when we see the heroes of the Old Testament. They have that belief. They have that idea, which is essentially the same belief we have today. We just know who that person is and what that person did. And so that's typically the common Christian answer you hear is uh, they had belief, not in a specific name, Jesus, but in the idea of Jesus. They knew it was coming, and so they believed in that, and that's what saved them. Um, I think um, that's the great. That's great. I, that's that's the great answer for that. I, um, I know. I definitely don't know. <laughs> like I never thought about it. To be honest with you. Oh yeah, we're not um, geniuses here. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We're just um, guys with microphones. I think. I think we we're gonna we're gonna end things with a we you know we didn't ask any controversial quote unquote questions. I think the most controversial one that we asked was the the uh, 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 predestination whatever the, the that theology question that we did earlier. Um, very interesting about salvation. We, asked, we did ask. Yeah, I was gonna say the question about, about salvation. salvation. It's this pretty, but but it's not as culturally controversial, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like in the Christian circles, it would be. So I think I'm gonna end things with uh, one of our uh, one of the few or one of the only controversial questions that I saw on there, in my eyes, that we put down um, was: uh, Is it okay for Christians to carry guns? Ooh, is it okay for is Christians okay? to carry I'm guns? I'm quite interested with yeah. this next part of the conversation. This is a great question. Um, so I would say a couple of principles to start with, right? The Bible, um, obviously guns didn't exist in Bible times, right? And so just like most things, what the Bible does is gives us principles that as intelligent Christians, we have to apply to our situations, right? So one thing we certainly see in the Bible is we see soldiers coming to know Jesus and no one telling them they have to stop being soldiers. We see that. Um, 
Peter meets with soldiers. He talks with soldiers. He knows what they do. He knows what they're about. He stays and talks with them. Jesus heals a soldier's kid at one point. No one ever says you have to stop being a soldier. Those people were warriors. Those people did what they did. Um, He talks about the behavior with which they need to conduct themselves and treat other people and all that kind of stuff. But he never says you have to put down your sword. Um, We do also see all kinds of... um, uh, principles about who is allowed. We, we actually do see Paul at one point say the government does not bear the sword in vain. Um, a lot of Christians, I'm not smart enough to say everything that that means, but a lot of people would certainly take that to mean um, violence is a tool only used by a true and recognized government. It should not be a tool that is used to make what you want to see happen happen. Um, if you're mad at somebody else, you do not have the right to grab a gun and take vengeance on somebody else, right? A soldier is different than a vigilante, and you do see that principle in the Bible. Um, I would add to that that in the Bible, there is also this principle of where your number one goal at all times and in all places is to represent Christ well to the people around you. It is also your number one goal uh, more than anything else besides maybe um, um, living out your Christian walk that we want to see other people come to know Jesus because that makes the eternal yeah. destination difference. And so, I mean, Paul even say it to the Jews. I became a Jew to the Greeks. I became a Greek. Like Paul's willing to surrender his rights and his identity so that other people would come to know Christ. And so what I would say is that if you're with people who have a problem with carrying guns, don't carry a gun. If you're with people who want you to do it, don't go up to them and talk about how like, Oh, you shouldn't be doing this. Don't be doing this. If that's going to, disable your ability to talk to them about Christ because that's more important than anything I would say. Yeah. I, um, so my wife and I, we both have a concealed carry permit. Um, I do not carry often. Um, honestly, more than anything, it was just to go through the training and to check that off. And it also, it, it helps if I'm being honest with purchasing in North Carolina. Um, but as a Christian who owns firearms, um, and that's specifically a, a handgun because let's be honest, not too many people go hunting with handguns. Um, maybe you carry one if you work on a farm to shoot like varmints and snakes and stuff. Um, but if, if you're carrying one, you're carrying it with self-defense in mind. Um, I in no way as a Christian firearm owner would ever support anyone intentionally seeking violence out on someone. Um, I strictly have mine as a last option self-defense and that's for protecting my family. And even with that, the idea of trying to carry the guilt of having used a firearm on someone is not something I want to experience. Um, so it's, I, I know I've met a lot of people who are very gung ho about that and it, it bothers me to see people that's like, why would you be excited that someone might break into your house and that you'd have to shoot them? Well, yeah, like, it's the whole thing where it's like people who own guns for self-defense purposes are usually the people who never want to have to use them. Well, and even in training for that, when you go through concealed carry, most concealed carry teachers will tell you, your first, your first thing that you're supposed to do in a situation where you might be in danger, whether from someone with a knife, someone with a gun, whatever, is you're supposed to run. You need to flee the situation. Um... And if, if that's not your mindset, it, it can be how hard. And I do think, like, how how does this line up? And I, I, I've had moments where I've thought, I should just sell these. And I shouldn't own them. Um, and then I've had other moments where I've been like, you know, and I don't know this is an issue. Like, 
it's it's something I've struggled with at times. But I do think like if you asked our congregation, you'd find a split. Oh yeah, you'd find people who are like, "No, I got like fifty of them. You need one," and then you'd find people who'd be like, "Not in my house." And and that's okay, right? I don't think either one's wrong. Um, some people are really really good with a baseball bat. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's me. It, but the idea of like, um, if you're gonna look at the biblical example, it'd be like, "Well, can I carry a gun?" It'd be like, "Well, in the Old Testament." God like literally was like, no, nah, go out there, hold my ark, hold, hold up the ark, and you guys are gonna rout this enemy, and just like had violent, bloody wars, and that what we're what you're doing now is not the same, um, and I don't know that you should ever take that and be like, well, he did, they did this in the Old Testament, so I'm gonna do it. Um, yeah, I would say no matter what, obviously wisdom needs to reign supreme on the question, right? It's always. Um, first of all, whatever perspective you hold on this issue, like, I don't have a problem with that. Like, that's that's fine, right? We, we can yeah. be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can worship at the same church, and that, that's fine, right? We don't have to have the same opinions to be friends or family. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and I would say that, you know, um, what matters more than anything is that we use our heads, we use our brain, right? Um, there's a section of the Bible um, when Jesus, he's getting arrested, and Peter pulls out a sword, and he chops yeah. off a guy's ear, and he Jesus right looks on. at him and says, stop no and it's like there is a time and a place when you don't pull out the weapon and defend yourself there's also a time and a place when i think it's okay too right so it's like there are times and places to these things and that's why we god gave us brains and heads so that we can take the principles the bible has and gives us and we can use them using our brains to be smart and i would say the number one thing is um don't be a jerk about any of this. And number two, follow the law. That That's the n- two big things I would say. Yeah. Um, yes, Virgo. Um, yes, it's okay. That's my answer. I, yeah. <laughs> sure. That's yeah, if you want to, yeah. That's As long as you're smart. So that being said, I think that's a good place to end it. Um, thank you, Sean, for coming in and 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 laying your answers upon yeah, these questions and thank you um, all for pretending like i'm smart no dude like i, I i'm i love this I, I love these uh these two last two episodes because i learned a lot about things that i've heard about but I never exactly really like dove, like dove into and how interesting it is when you do dive into things between things from fig trees to all the way to to dinosaurs all the way to like salvation and then uh, like something as right now like what we're going through like is okay for christians to carry guns um so i really appreciate the um that's just the just the thoughtfulness just just the thoughts and, and just thinking about it so i appreciate it thank you carson for joining us no problem i really like and then spencer thank you for also laying upon us thy wisdom Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Either way, um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend, and we love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.